97.7 WKOM, Columbia. Welcome, folks, to another episode of American Steel. Hope you're doing well since our last episode. Uh, excited about the downloads. We're on WKOM 101.7 radio here in Columbia, Tennessee. Another amazing guest today, uh, Matthew White, is the founder and executive director of Delta Recovery Solutions. And so uh, we're going to be diving into how um, Matthew's story and then this uh, this new uh program uh, of, re- of recovery is going to be formed or is being formed as we speak and how it can help our community. Uh, so, Matthew, uh, welcome. Thank you. Really uh, th- glad to be here, Dr. Steele. Thank you for being here. And, and uh, as you know, Mike is always with us here on the uh, engineering piece of this. Mike, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. And just talking off the air, you know, trying to just to kind of see where this this episode would go. Um, the topic of addiction is uh, everybody's been impacted by the topic of addiction. It's almost like cancer. Everybody in the world knows somebody who has had cancer. Uh, well, everybody in the world knows somebody who's addicted or has been addicted to uh, any kind of uh, drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Everybody knows somebody. Yeah. It, it, uh, you know, we were talking the other day. Uh, it's generally accepted 8 to 10%. You can, you, can, you can slice up any random group of 100 people. Any demographics, uh, socioeconomic, race, religion, anything. Throw 100 random people in the room, and 10 of them are addicted. You and I met from a a mutual friend, I think. We met. uh, He introduced us. But we kind of – we were talking one day at a restaurant, but our our mutual friend kind of um, introduced us. And we had lunch one day, and you were telling me about your story. I think just for – that it relates to this topic, I think our listeners uh, need to hear at least uh, a good portion of your background and the foundation of why you're so passionate about this. Sure, sure. I, I grew up, um, I had at the, a, a good childhood, um, a lot of people around me that loved and cared about me. Uh, I was a, a pretty good kid, got good grades, got a scholarship to go to college, academic scholarship. Um, good kid, kind of always followed the rules. I was definitely a rule follower. So in high school, up until high school, was never in any trouble or anything like that. Um, and, uh, was oftentimes kind of the guy there, you know, pulling people out of the ditch or doing whatever. Um, but I, I, for reasons I still don't know my, the night of my graduation, I went over to a buddy's house and, uh, um, they had some beers there and they were available and I, I had one of them and, I will never forget this feeling because I felt it a million times since then. But that first sip, something happened in my brain and I fell in love. Like I could feel what I now know to be a dopamine rush just flowing through my head. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, And that's really, really a lot different than what you might hear other people say. You know, what I don't understand is somebody who orders a, a beer and drinks half of it. And they're like, oh, I've had enough. Or somebody who says, you know, might get the second beer and halfway down, they're like, oh, this is getting to my head. I got to stop. And I'm like, no, 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 that's when you start. Like, that, we're just getting going. So that's the way I was wired. And that first beer, I really loved. I ended up going to, to college at Lipscomb, you know, which is not an easy place to, to drink, but I figured out how to. Um, and uh, uh, 
And then it just kind of gradually, um, it wasn't like out of the gate. I was drinking every day. It wasn't out of the gate. I was drinking once a month, you know, but when I always looked forward to it a lot, I always really, really enjoyed it. And looking back on it now, I can say with some honesty that like, I could never, I could never say I was going to have one or two. If I thought I was, I never actually did. And it was always until I felt what I wanted to feel. And so, um, it, it gradually, as it often does, um, graduates to uh, a greater degree of drinking. And at some point, you start drinking alone. And at some point, you start drinking greater and greater quantities. And before you look, before you know, you've uh, you're. And I'll kind of tell you that the tipping point for me is I was uh, uh, I was a portfolio manager for an, a couple of different investment companies, and uh, during the credit crisis in 08 or 08 and 09, um, is when I would come home, I would have dinner with my kids. Work was brutal um, at that time. I mean, uh, have dinner with the family, go back to work, pick up a six-pack on the way and sit in my office and drink. And that six-pack turned into a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until uh, it's 10 years later. Uh, uh, life just completely fell apart. Um, you kind of always think while you're in the midst of it, that you can handle it, you can handle it. And to some degree you can like my, my persona, everything about me, nothing would have told you that I was, that I was drinking like I was. Um, I had some friends that we would, you know, get together, have a beer, but they didn't know that I was already showing up loaded, you know? Um, and then I would go back and drink more after we left. And so, but everything looked fine on the outside, you know, had, couple of responsible jobs pretty you know known around the community i would greet you at church <laughs> uh, i was all over the place and um and it wasn't until uh set a, a long list of events that uh kind of all culminated over the course of a weekend and it became pretty apparent to that to me uh and it, it, what had become apparent to the people closest to me is that i really needed some help uh, so I called a good friend of mine. Uh, well, actually at the time he was an acquaintance. He's now a really good friend of mine, uh, called him cause he kind of worked in the field and I was like, I, I think I might need some help. And, uh, he met with me, um, that day basically to lay eyes on me. It was a Saturday. And, uh, and he was like, you know, I really think you need to, to go to treatment for 30 days. So I went to, uh, Rolling Hills and, uh, um, uh, Franklin, uh, where I went to detox, um, and then was there for three or four days and then went to Cumberland Heights in Nashville for, for the next almost 30 days, which completely changed my life and has kind of set me on the trajectory that we're going to continue to talk about. But that's the 30,000 foot view of Matt's story. Right. Yeah. So on that, that's just, there's so much meat on that, so the process of recovery, yeah. How many people do you think? Because uh, you had you had a friend to call, and mm-hmm. how many people do you? How is ego involved in the decision to get clean? It's it's the the thing about uh, it's, it's ego is a big part of it, but like coupled right with it is selfishness, self centeredness, um, and so you you know. Uh, one one way I've heard recovery put it, it's right-sizing your ego and self-worth. Addicts have this huge ego and no self-worth at all. And bringing that back into balance is a big part of recovery. So ego is huge because you really, really think, like, I can handle this. And it's very clear 
based on what's happening around you in your life that you obviously cannot handle this. And so, but you think, yeah, I can, yeah, I can. And I, I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but within the last year before I got help, I thought I will, I told a friend, I will never do a 12 step program because I'll be damned before I admit I'm powerless over anything. And that's why that's the first step is so important because you have to get your ego in check to know that you are powerless over this. Hey, about that. So, um, I, my background is in psychology and counseling. I've counseled mm-hmm. hundreds of people, but at the same time, I don't think I have a lot of uh, knowledge about the 12 step programs, but what about that first piece of, uh, them saying basically, uh, uh, give up on, give up on what you think and, and submit to what we're telling you. Exactly. And, and I, I, I had another friend that I called, I needed help with something before, uh, before I was ready to go away for treatment. And so I called him and asked him about this thing I needed help with. And, uh, one of the, most remarkable moments of my life is he said, you know, here's what you need to do about that. And he told me, and he goes, but do you have a second that I can just talk to you? And I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, well, I I went to Cumberland Heights three years ago. I had no idea. It's a good friend of mine. had no idea. And he told me a little bit about his experience. And he goes, you know, in recovery, we're not big on giving you advice, but I hope you'll take this little bit of advice. He goes, ponder the word surrender and submit to what they tell you to do and you'll be okay. And I, I, it sounded so weird at the time, but then once you get into it and realize you've got to surrender, you've got to submit. And there's a, a you know, uh, NAA, we, we have a book called the big book. It's just entitled Alcoholics Anonymous, but, um, there's a, there's a, a line in there. It says we cease fighting anybody or anything, even alcohol. Like you quit fighting. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, we're both Marines. You hear quit fighting. You it, think I'm it surrendering. Doesn't, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't register at all. And so, uh, so you're like, surrender? What does that mean? I don't, I'm not wired that way. My ego wouldn't let me think in those terms. And, uh, and that's really the first thing. You have to just admit you're beat. Yeah. It's got you. It's got you. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you may not have seen it coming, but it somehow it got you. And you don't know when it happened. Right. You know, there's not a, there's not a meter on your body. That says, you know, there's stage, stages to alcoholism and there's not a meter or a, a, a physical symptom or one thing you can point to where you can say, yep, it got me. Uh, it's a gradual thing. But, yeah, at some point you got to admit it, it did. In the time between college and you were having a success, uh, successful career and your mm-hmm. family and whatnot, it, it, did anybody – were there any signs that people were saying – this is too much or were things happening that would uh, get you like in trouble or those kind of things? I didn't have like uh, legal trouble. I would, I mean, obviously if you're, if you're in the midst of addiction, you're going to have trouble with some relationships and I certainly did. Um, It was easy to kind of paper off as there was some other circumstance that I could point it to. Um, And then there would be times where maybe friends would think like, you know, maybe you had too much that time, you know, and it's easy for me to rationalize that it was just that time. Right. Even after they started to stack up over a while. Um, I say it was easy for me to rationalize that did, that doesn't mean it's rational, but, uh, but yeah, so there were, there were times, but it's just, again, your ego gets in the way and you're like, no, nah, I got this. I can handle this. So I think I've, I, we talked about it at lunch that one day, but is this a day to day thing? Like, like you hear about the 12 mm-hmm. stuff. So this is, this is a one day at a time. time, one, one day, day at a time. time. It's a, there's a reason it's on the, the coins they give you when you reach your milestone it says one day at a time. And that's really what it is. And so, and especially early on, it's minute to minute, hour to hour. Right. But you can't think I still, um, you know, this is it, it's just been a little four years ago, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I still can't process the thought of never drinking again for the rest of my life. 
but I think I'll be okay to make it to bedtime today. Right. You know, and tomorrow we'll get up and, and try it again. So you have people out there listening right now that are, are going through what you went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, their egos hasn't allowed them to give up and surrender to this beast. Mm-hmm. What, so, it, and it calls out to you every day. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm, you mean I'm, the, the 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 substance that's the calling substance. out to you every day. At some point, you have to every day fight off the urge. Uh, I wouldn't put it as fighting off the urge. There's there's there are things that I do every day, and that anybody in recovery does every day. That you do those things, and so I don't. Um, I, I don't like to think of as fighting it off. It's just I've got my toolkit, and I've got to use my toolkit, and then. Um, you know, chances are pretty good. I'll make it today. So it's like, uh, like a lot of people, if you, if you get an injury or if you get cancer, you start boning up on the cancer research mm-hmm. and injury. And so you become an expert almost of at least for ACL surgery. Of course, my ACL surgery was years ago, but I've, at the time I knew exactly what the most recent ACL surgery consisted of and what drugs they were going to give me to mitigate the pain. I'll never forget this. Cause I've, I, you know, I, I, I don't feel, uh, like I have an addictive personality, uh, but then after talking to Mike, I might be addicted to uh, cinnamon rolls or, or, something, or something like that. But uh, which is true. Now, I mean, that's a true addiction. I yes, mean, you could be uh, addicted and, to. And, okay, to, to explain a little bit, I was telling yeah. them uh, a little bit in high school that I always had uh, cinnamon discs in my lunch. I had three or four cinnamon discs mm-hmm. and didn't think anything of it. It was just something I had in my lunch every day. And one time I ran out and didn't go to the store and get them for a couple of three days. And for those two or three days, I remember an intense headache yeah. around lunchtime and it would be or after right after lunch. And I couldn't figure out what was going on until finally about the second or third day of the headaches. I finally got a cinnamon disc, popped it in my mouth and my headache went away mm-hmm. almost immediately. And it kind of, one of those things just kind of hit me like, Oh, this is, this is an addiction. Now I, you know, as a teacher and, and stuff, I know that cinnamon disc is not physically addictive. It was as much a psychological thing. I'm almost sure it was a psychological. You know, I just missed my cinnamon disc and right. for some reason it would cause a headache. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my brain talked my body into having its reaction. And, and uh, so it was, it's almost laughable when I start, you know, listening to other stories about others, you know, stronger addictions and stuff like that. But at the same time, it would, it was one of those things that I learned from. And, and fortunately I learned it in high school. Mm-hmm. This is what an addiction can do. And it, it, for me, I was very, very fortunate. It was very minor. And I learned my wean myself off of it and all that stuff. Um, but I think it helped me mentally to avoid a bigger addiction, mm-hmm. other addictions down the road. Yeah. So I did want to ask a little bit. You, uh, you mentioned, you know, with the beer, mm-hmm. did that graduate into stronger yeah. stuff later? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you never mentioned stronger stuff. Yeah. And, and, and the reason why I'm asking that as a teacher and as a coach, I hear all the time, it's just a beer. Yeah. yeah it's just a beer. Yeah. It's not going to cause any, you know, right. you, know, yeah. you know, you know, especially my ball players and, and, and stuff, mm-hmm. um, are, they're, they're at that age. Yeah. Of those decisions have to be made yeah. for themselves. I, I, you know, that resonated with me was one beer. Yeah. It's it was, just a, you know, and I hear, oh, I've heard it thousands of times. Yeah. It's just a beer, coach. Don't yeah. worry about it. You know, <laughs> and you just don't know. 
you know, we've talked about there's there's a genetic component to addiction, and you don't know if you've got the gene. And you probably sometimes, very often, you have some life circumstances that have um, left you feeling things you don't understand. You don't want to feel them, and you figure out that that beer, you know, makes me not feel those things. Yeah, at least, at least it masked it. It masked it. It makes me not feel that. And so, but at some point, one beer doesn't work. So now you need two. Now yeah. you need three. Now three beers is a lot, but a couple of shots of whiskey will do it. I say I you can't know? hold enough yeah. beer to get that feeling. Exactly. So now I got to get exactly. stronger. Yeah, and then yeah. it keeps going. And going. Years ago, I had ACL surgery, and uh, I was prescribed Vicodin. Yeah. And I think I, I think that's that, a common start to the story too. Is that it? Oh yeah. Well, I want to talk about prescription drugs in yeah, a little I've, bit. We're I've, probably going to be at break. I've heard several stories off of surgery. Yeah. Well, I was living on my own, uh, you know, and uh, after ACL, your knee does hurt a lot, and you do need pain, but though you take a Vicodin, there's no more pain. Yeah. And it wasn't the pain, uh, I'll tell you, Matthew, it wasn't the pain that I was uh, taking that, but it helped me sleep like an angel. Yes. And I would sleep so well that I, I woke up with so much energy that one night, this is a true story, I lived in an apartment complex on on the apartment's lake. My balcony was over the apartment's lake. And I remember, and I had probably 15, 20 pills still, and I remember being ready to go to bed and just taking a pill. I wasn't in, I wasn't in any pain. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I'm lucky. I honestly think I'm lucky. I, I, I recognized at that moment that I was becoming addicted mm-hmm. to Vicodin. Mm-hmm. I literally took the rest of the bottle and threw it in the lake, and I never looked you. back. Well, thank you for that. But I, it scared the hell out of me because I could have been hooked like so many people get hooked, and their lives are in ruin yeah. because of prescription drugs that you're given by a doctor. So you've you've come across people you've talked to people more than I can count more than I can count. But but before we get into that, what did you do? What you you may not have realized it, but what you what you, your thought process was was this stuff is stronger than me, and you pitched it in the lake. Okay, you know. Okay, which is really important. Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't have been able to do that. I'd have been. I'd have made an excuse to go to sleep that night with that pill. So yeah. that's really important. But you you submitted. You know whether you consciously realize it or not, but you were like, "This thing is more powerful than me. I better get rid of it." Well, so. I think you're right. I, it it literally. I remember, and this is a long time ago uh, in the '90s, but I remember being scared. Mm-hmm. I remember being scared because I felt like it, it had a hook in me, yeah, exactly. and it did. And so, um, I, I I don't know what come came over me. I don't know what strength I found or courage I found to toss them in the lake, but I did. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't have been more thankful for that. And then I, then I went on to get my background in my uh, education in psychology to try to fit, not, not because of that reason, but once I did that, I, I had a little more insight, but then, then you come in more contact with people that did not throw it away. Yeah. And that's goes to your, what led, led us down this, but yeah, there are a bunch of stories that start, you know, that, that they were somebody in their thirties or forties that never really drank or used or anything like that, but had a back surgery, had a knee surgery, whatever. And then they, they, they take the pill. And then again, they kind of realize, or they don't realize it, but subconsciously they're like, this makes me feel better than I feel in my normal life. And so, and just like it, we were talking about earlier, it went from a beer to two beers to, to to whiskey it's got some pretty deleterious effects about how far that goes because those pills are expensive and it's not long before people are putting needles in their arm because heroin's cheaper so heroin's cheaper wow that's a that's a scary thought also i I had elbow surgery a while back and they gave me a nerve block and 
I didn't want, I didn't like that either, but it's just the things that drugs can do and, and uh, are just scary. It's terrifying. We're going to take a break here on American Steel. We'll be back in just one moment. Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. And I'm Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Together, we're Mr. Bobby Parks' grandsons, and we run his dealership, and we are glad to be part of our local community. Being family-owned and operated, we invest heavily in our community. We do things like sports teams, schools, bands, you name it. We try to help everybody we can. The reason why we do this is because we all love this community. So come do business with us, your neighbors, at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, right off Nashville Highway, or at ParksMotorSales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. By now you all know about Don, our service truck guy. Well, let me tell you about another member of our service team, and that's Mike Ashley. He's the guy you'll talk to when you call the office. Just call and talk to Mike one time at 931-540-0919, and you'll see why we're lucky to have him here at the Garbage Man. Thanks, Mike, for all you do to keep the Garbage Man first in service. That's 931-540-0919. This is Dr. Dominic Mancini from the Dr. Gill Center. If your car was damaged in an auto accident, chances are you'd fix the car. Why wouldn't you give that same attention to yourself? Untreated whiplash injuries of the spinal column may lead to conditions such as headaches, numbness in the arms, neck and back pain. The doctors at the Dr. Gill Center specialize in detecting and treating such injuries from an auto accident. Accident consultations are free. Call me painfree.com or call 615-551-9224. One of our goals at Caledonian is to impact our clients and friends in a positive manner. Whether it's a friendly voice, a smile, and a wave as you walk past our office or supporting our community, the Caledonian team is actively involved. Through our memberships in Kiwanis, Rotary, Murray Alliance, Circle of Excellence, volunteering in Boy Scouts and 4-H, serving on a variety of boards and more, we stay connected to Murray County. This is Perry Bowman with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated. Member FINRA and SIPC. Front Porch Radio is Southern Middle Tennessee's home for the best in news, talk, and sports. Missed out on any favorite Front Porch programs? Check us out online at frontporchradiotn.com to download episodes of your favorite podcast. Listen live or listen online. Search for it on your favorite podcast app. iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Alexa. Join us on the porch, frontporchradiotn.com. This is Coach Devin Simler from Columbia Central Baseball. You are listening to 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee. Welcome back, folks, to American Steer here on WKOM 101.7 FM Radio, Front Porch Radio here in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, Matthew, we ended up... We ended our first conversation, and we started talking about prescription drugs. Um, any advice, recommendations for parents? For parents, uh, yeah, 
if you if your child is prescribed these drugs, you should definitely maintain control of those drugs. So um, they should be tucked away safely uh, where the child doesn't have access to them on their own. And the child, if the child needs them, then uh, then they come and talk to you about it. And you, I'm sure you can talk to your doctor about how to evaluate, you know, when they need it, make sure it's taken exactly as prescribed. And then when it's done, get rid of the pills. Don't leave it to chance that you've stuck it away in a safe enough hiding place that, uh, that, that they won't find it. Matthew, talk about manipulation and addiction. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, there's a, you know, so addicts right, so, are good at a few things. So right now there could be a 12-year-old boy out there who just had surgery, and they, he's got this drug, and he could, he could be manipulating his parents oh, at this sure. point to get another pill. Sure, sure. Yeah, so that's important to, you know, know what the dosing schedule is. Dose it or dose it out to your child exactly when it's supposed to be dosed. If there is, you know, if it does seem to be not working or they need it more, then involve your doctor in that conversation. Don't just give them the pill. You talked sure. about before while we were off air about uh, uh, basically it's rewiring your brain, yeah, to not to not be addicted. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your reading and your research on that. Yeah, so that's actually what the genesis of the my. Um, my endeavors to get this started was, was uh, a few years back, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't process why this happened. So I went down this rabbit hole researching everything I could about what happened neurologically in my brain, what physically happened. And, um, and basically, you know, when you, when you, as you are getting addicted, the, 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 your brain is this network of, of neurons and connections and things like that, 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 they get rewired. And so it, it, uh, it, your brain just changes almost, it almost changes shape, if that makes sense. Not physically changes shape, but the, the, the connections inside of it change shape. And so I, I was really wondering what, what that looked like. How did that happen? And then the more and more I did that, and it's kind of a miracle, actually, so much of what rewires it back is stuff that AA has been talking about for almost 90 years now. Um, you know, the, the steps, uh, gratitude, there's a, a big body of, of, of evidence. Uh, I mean, now re- research about how having a gratitude practice literally rewires your brain. Um, and so you were talking about, uh, we've talked about manipulation and selfishness and things like that, that are one side of somebody in active addiction, you know, something like gratitude or the opposites of that, you know, help, uh, rewire your brain to, into a healthier state. And so that's what kind of got this whole thing started my, as far as the idea of mine. I don't think I don't have an original idea. The next original idea I have in my head will be a pretty lonely thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so that's, so this what kind of got this whole program started is me thinking through like what happened. And then you come to find out that a lot of the things that you're introduced to mindfulness and rest and how you sleep and physical fitness and how you eat, that has a lot to do with whether or not your brain can rewire itself and free itself from from its physical dependency. Well, doesn't that also have a lot, a lot to do with like um, self esteem and, and and maybe it telling, absolutely does. Maybe telling your brain you don't need this because you already are, you, yeah you're getting up at four thirty to go run five miles. Yeah, which, that's huge. Which also is releasing endorphins and dopamine right. and things like that that you're used to from getting 
out of a substance, your your body's naturally manufacturing it in right. greater quantities and in healthier quantities as well. Right. So you're able to uh, basically demonstrate that you're controlling your brain and not letting your brain control you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, physically anyway. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that you grew up with love and kindness and care, and you. I had my fair share of childhood trauma, but yeah, that had that as well. Yeah. Right. So, but a lot of love. Uh, and I grew up. Uh, it sounds like just the it sounds like the opposite. And there was beer in our house, and there were parties, yeah, and my, my parents were doing that all the time. No. Uh, so I wasn't one of the, I never took a drop of alcohol the entire time I was in the in high school. Um, and so, but I was easily capable of going and stealing a beer here and just you know shotgunning a quick beer or something. I didn't do that, and yeah. so um, and then you ended up growing up and and being addicted to something, and I didn't. And so I think for our listeners is like. There is no uh, prescribed way of guaranteeing that you won't, your yeah. child won't become addicted to something. Correct, and it's no respecter of persons. Right, and, and I mean, you know, we talked about that eight to ten percent. It's eight to ten percent of everybody, any race, any socioeconomic status, any any national origin, any uh, anything, any education level, whatever. However, you want to slice and dice it, eight to ten percent are addicted. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I mentioned you, you the other day, and I still believe this. It's like uh, I tell teachers and whatnot that if they're going to be able to teach something, those students need to see something in you that they like. Yeah. They need to see at least one thing if they're going to really take in what you're trying to tell them. And I think that's the same thing for you. When when you start working with addicts and people and families, I mean, they're going to they're they're definitely going to see something in you that they like because you're a success story of of defeating this. Uh, and maybe I'm using the wrong words. But yeah, God, God did it for me what I couldn't do for myself. Okay, for myself. But yeah, got it. I didn't defeat anything. Got yeah. it. So here we are, and now you have the Delta Recovery Solutions. Yeah, tell me about that. So uh, that is. Um, uh, I've been, this was an idea a couple of years ago, and then I've talked to a few people who said this is really needed, and then talked to a few people that said, we'll help you with the resources to get this going. But basically, um, you know, I had to go to treatment for 30 days. And in 30 days, that sounds like a long time, but there's not enough time to do it all. Uh, to It's a good foundation, but it doesn't, it's not all, it, it, you can't just rely on that. So, and then going back to some of the the reading and research I did just out of my own curiosity about, you know, what's happening and how, how do you recover? Um, a lot of the things that you're introduced to, uh, in treatment, um, is just that an introduction and it's really hard to come back and then integrate them into your, into your life. And so I, I ended up going back to do some work at Cumberland Heights, um, during the, the pandemic and, um, and it was funny because being on that side of it, instead of being on the, the client side of it, um, you see things a little differently. And one of the things that I would always do is ask guys who are getting ready to leave, you know, how they're feeling. And they would invariably, I'm scared to leave the bubble. And, uh, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's not, there's not a liquor store in the middle of that campus or there's not a gas station. And so, um, or your dealer is in, in the case of drug addiction, isn't, isn't down the street. So, so the thought is, is like help people build a bubble at home. And so it's going to be an outpatient treatment program. And one of the, and I went to outpatient treatment too, which was excellent. Um, one of the things that, that tends to happen is that, um, I was very fortunate um, in that I didn't have to rebuild my social structure. My friend group, everybody around me, when they realized I had a problem, they adjusted. Um, most people don't have that luxury. They go back and their buddies are like, well, how was rehab? You know, <laughs> you know, 
good job. Now we're ready to go. You can have one. Right. You know, now you can have one. Yeah. And it's a lie. You can't. So it's to help people like build a, it's a community that will offer the outpatient services, but also then take a broader view and that, that, that a lot of the things you get introduced to in treatment, you can stick around the program and help integrate those things into your life and help build your own bubble so that, um, so that you don't have to fall prey to relapse. And then also too, because you're staying tethered to that program, there's a community around you that, that, that helps rebuild your social support system. And you don't have to go back to the same people, places and things that you were in, in active addiction and you can truly get started on a new life. So the other thing I'm really proud about with that program is addiction is a family disease. Um, and so, and, and we've talked about, you know, anybody that's suffering from addiction is using that substance to medicate feelings they don't want to feel. They're using things they don't understand or recognize or they can't label or regulate their own emotions. And so what they do is medicate them. Well, addiction, like we've said before, has a genetic predisposition. So, so kids that grow up in, in families that have addiction problems are very susceptible, three or four times likely, more likely than just the, anybody else to uh, to be subject to or to, to suffer from addiction. And so we're going to have a program that's aimed at the children of our clients um, where they can come in. And it's not going to be a just say no program. It's not that type of program. It's going to be we're going to help you learn how to recognize, understand, label, regulate your emotions so that they hopefully don't become don't fall into addiction themselves. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that part of it, too, because we're going to serve the whole family as well. Uh, I think we were talking earlier, uh, just say no. Uh, they really, it's not a bad concept, but it's, it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. You, they should have gone much further with how to say no, why to say no. Those yeah, and, and also, too, like here are some tools that will do what you want it to do, what you're trying to do, which is you know help you re- deal with your emotions. Use those tools instead of the substances. So, so we kind of have a, a concept of what the mission looks like, but what do you need to get this up and running so you're helping people? Yeah, right now I need a building. I need a place to do this uh, first and foremost. And so um, – and then – you know, obviously financial resources are a big help, but the most pressing thing right now is getting a building. So, so you mentioned that uh, you have some resources, but ultimately you'll be reaching out and, and anybody that wants to contribute will be able to contribute. Absolutely. To this. Absolutely. And what kind of clients or patients will you serve? So it's going to primarily be people coming out of inpatient treatment centers and also out of jail if they've gotten treatment while they were in jail. Yeah, and there'll you, also be some 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 diversion programs okay. uh, out of the court system to where they can go do this instead of uh instead of, you know, other judicial measures. And I know you have uh, you have a mindset and a concept of getting into the schools. Yes, I do. And then that goes back to what we we're talking about with kids is helping kids learn. Uh, you know, you've been kind enough. I think I'm going to go do some work out at Central uh, uh, this this year, which I'm really excited about. But help educating kids about what addiction really is, and that if you are falling into addiction, it doesn't make you a bad kid. You know, we always kind of look at the kid that smokes a lot of pot and think that's a bad kid, and it's not a bad kid; it's a hurting kid. And so, treat them as such; they're a hurting kid, and give let's give them some resources to help them hopefully get onto a different path. That's not just corrective. It's not just you're a bad kid. Here's how we're going to fix you. It's here's help us understand how you're hurting and how we can help you. Yeah. On the day that, or I say day on in the time frame where you realize that you were better, that you had gone to treatment, that you, you were better. What are some of the things that you started implementing into your life that helped you uh, continue that daily 
that daily victory. Yeah. Uh, prayer is a big one that we talk about in AA, but, uh, but, uh, um, prayer meditation, however you want to term it, but wherever you are in your spirituality. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned on a, another show here that, that game time, uh, Drew Massey and Taylor Ellis and Devin Simler, uh, you know, were, were big parts of my recovery. They didn't know it at the time, but they were giving me a little something to do every day and challenging me a little bit every day and letting, helping me see a little victory every day. And uh, that was huge for me. And then I also started to see that my body is repairing itself. You know, I was not in any any kind of good shape. I was in pretty rough shape uh, when I went in, but you got, you start to see the physical effects of it, that I can do things I couldn't used to do. That was really important. Um, you know, nutrition was a big part, just kind of, and that's not a real rigid plan, but it's just kind of being mindful of what, what I'm doing, what I'm taking in, how it's affecting my body. Um, sleep was a really big deal. Um, you know, understanding how much sleep I need and then understanding if I've gotten quality sleep that night and how that might affect my mood later on. You actually tend to have some pretty wild dreams while you're early in recovery. Um, so that was a big part of it, but it's things like that, that sound pretty rudimentary, but like a lot of people, if you've been shooting heroin for years, doing meth for years, you don't know how to eat anymore. Like you and you may have gone into treatment without sleeping the seven days before. Like literally, I know guys do that did that. So, a lot of those things are the things that helped repair and heal and and get me back to some semblance of health. Yeah, in my former life, when I was in law enforcement, I I had the unfortunate uh, opportunity of working with lots and lots of addicts and just drug users yeah. and living on people living on the streets and doing anything and everything just to get the next fix. But it just kind of occurred to me too. So the the psychology really and the physiology of addiction. Uh, let's say someone perhaps is addicted to eating. Mm-hmm. Same kind of same same processes. Same Gambling, process. porn. Same same Gambling, same porn. synapses firing in your brain. Same. Okay. So and are those people uh, going to be people that you would treat as well? Uh, this is going to be focused on substance. Uh, at first, I do envision hopefully down the road, um, and I think uh, cell phones, just general cell phone use the the digital the dopamine yeah. created by scrolling yeah. uh is a is kind of a, a thing that's hanging out there that's going to be pretty deleterious so you need a, the concept of the building that you need you need a building that's going to be able to uh you, you want to have several therapists. yeah well and one of the things yeah therapist is one of the things i failed to mention uh in the things that i was doing it was some very intense therapy for a long time to get to the underlying causes of the addiction and root that out a lot of emdr which is a modality that i'm not sure if we've got time to get into now but um, but did that. So that was a, that was a huge part. Cause you got to understand why you've wanted to avoid your feelings. You, you know, what happened been, in your past, the trauma and things like that, that caused that. EM, so, uh, you went through EMDR. Oh yeah. So you, you're, you had a positive outcome. Uh, absolutely. Tell me about it. So EMDR, basically it's long story short. There's a, a psychologist that recognized that bilateral stimulation would help. Uh, and it started out as looking at, um, lights on a board and moving your eyes back and forth. And so, um, it's since evolved to where you might hold some paddles that vibrate one side at a time. Uh, I did one session where my therapist didn't have any any uh, equipment with her, so she just tapped one leg at a time of mine. And uh, some of the most intense and powerful. Um, bring, it's it's you're you're trying to bring up a memory that's that's troubling to you, and then hopefully experience that memory without feeling the trauma again. Um, and yeah, so, uh, it, it's an amazing experience. It's incredibly difficult. It was hard for me to get kind of dialed in. 
uh, to it. So it took a lot longer than it probably does most people, um, just cause I couldn't focus. Um, so, so it was, it was amazing. And, and it's, uh, was it, well, it's not hypnotism, but it's not at all. No. But do you think that maybe you were a little more difficult because you you fight it more? I think so. Yeah. I think I mean, there's probably some remnants of pride, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but also too, it was just, it was hard for me to get, I don't, I wouldn't say I was fighting it. It was hard to do it, to, to get into that. That mindset. Right. It sounds like, and I'm I'm somewhat familiar with it. Um, eye movement desensitization. Yes. Yeah. Rapid desensitization. Yeah. Like that. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, I've studied it before, but it's been a minute. But I've re- I just recently I've heard really good things about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something that you would recommend. Well, I mean, I would recommend working with a therapist. Therapist. And yeah. Listen to them if they say they, that you need it. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah. Sorry, I set you yeah. up on that one. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get you. So yeah, we're get with a therapist, but it is something that ha- is. Um, it's had promising results with you. And amazing results. And, and I'm, I mean, I can, I, I know dozens of people that would say the same thing. Uh, do you need, uh, are you looking for, to connect with therapists, licensed I would love therapists to, yeah, to connect yeah, with you? I do. I've got some resources out there and things, you know, and some connections being made. But yes, I would love to hear from anybody that, um, that would, that would want to do that. Or if you're a, a, a medical practitioner that's involved in addiction too, I would love to hear from you. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, is it is it cool to say that uh, you also need kind of a, a sponsor, like some uh, psychiatrist? Uh, is that fair? Yeah, I would. Do, uh, yeah, I do. I, w- I would be interested in talking to a couple of psychiatrists. As psychiatrists well, that, that could help with mm-hmm. this, the background in addiction, yep. substance yeah. abuse addiction. Okay. Yeah. So before we uh, before we go off air at the end of the show, we'll we'll share your contact sure. information if Thank you'd like you. to do that. That'd yeah, be amazing. And also, if you're out there and you know of a building that sounds like an amazing opportunity for. Uh, Matthew, that would be, please reach out to uh, Matthew at the end of the show or call the radio uh, station and we'll be able to uh, hook you up and connect you with Matthew. Um, so, yeah. So the message that when you get to the schools, the message to the kids is not just going to be say no. It's going to be it's going to be a little more in depth. Yeah. And they can handle it. I, I mean, you would know better than I would. Yeah. But I think so. I think I think kids crave honesty. Yeah. And crave authenticity. I, I, and that's not just limited to kids. I think we all do now. But like, um, but yeah, I think understanding that it's not just a some kids like you. Some kids don't have a choice. Like we think we think you do, right. and and I guess the first time you do, but after the first time you may not anymore. And so it's understanding that you're not bad, that you're hurting, and then submit, surrender, understand that you're hurting, and then get the help that you need. Yeah, and not you're not going to be judged for it either. Yeah. So if you are uh, out there and you uh, would like Matthew, you can also contact him. That would be a great presentation, I think, for especially to start in the high schools and maybe down in the middle schools. Uh, because we are, of course, seeing, and I know we have only got a few minutes before we take another break, but uh, one of the things that has recently angered me is this vaping piece where uh, kids will vape. It's not that that angers me as much as the fact that it's they're, uh, they're so easy to obtain. Uh, and a lot of times they have THC in them. Yeah. And so... Um, but it's, I, I, someone told me recently, it's only a $50 fine. If you sell a vape to an underage, kid. Is that right? <laughs> $50 fine. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, those people should be arrested for child abuse. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing. But, um, I know the sheriff's office here did a good job. They did a sting and they took a couple of stores down that were selling them because I mean, you're better off selling 20 to underage kids and then just taking the $50 fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you might as well do that. So. Well, Matthew, we're going to take another break here on American Steel, and we'll be right back for our last segment. But this has been very fascinating, folks. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. 
celebrate you with a new vehicle from Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. We have a huge selection of new vehicles waiting for you. We're talking cars, trucks, and SUVs. And if you're in the business of selling your vehicle, we've got you covered. We'll buy from you even if you don't buy from us. At Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia, we're locally owned and operated and proud to serve our community as the largest CDJR dealership in Tennessee. Find your new ride today when you visit Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. Hi, Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. When you think of diamonds, what do you think of? Rare, precious, timeless sparkles like the sun. They are timeless and nothing like them on earth. Then do you think, where do I buy local to buy the perfect ring? Maybe a diamond pendant or earrings or maybe a new diamond band. Look no further. Tillis Jewelry carries all your diamond and jewelry needs. Stop by and see our wonderful collection. And remember, if you don't know your diamonds, know your jeweler. Tillis Jewelry, downtown Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. This is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager at Columbia Ace Hardware. We have changed our store hours to better serve our community. Columbia Ace Hardware is now open from 7 to 7, Monday through Friday, from 8 to 4 on Saturday, and closed on Sunday. Come see us at 112 East James Campbell Boulevard and let us show you customer service that can only be found at Columbia Ace Hardware. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you're having a tough time or thinking about suicide, you're not alone. And there's hope. VA's Veterans Crisis Line has responders who listen and help. Many are veterans or have veteran family members and friends, so they're prepared to address your challenges. Don't wait. Dial 988, then press 1. Hey, this is Brenda Lynn Allen, and you are tuned in to 101.7 FM WKOM, Columbia, Tennessee. Welcome back, folks, to American Steel. We're here with Matthew White, the founder and executive director of Delta Recovery Solutions. Uh, Matthew's told us for the last 40 minutes uh, about his story and about his mission and vision for helping recovering addicts uh, that have maybe had um, involvement with law enforcement or jail time uh, and that um, need to be involved in a family environment where they have uh, a plethora of supporters that can help them um, eventually um, be not be addicted to any kind of substance and and live as normal life as possible, understanding uh, how difficult that can be for some. Matthew, you mentioned at some point that physically it only takes 17 days 
to get mm-hmm. off of a substance like an addiction physically. Yeah, physically you're not craving after about two weeks. Um, so like the physical dependency is no longer there. People obviously will still have cravings or urges or whatever, not physical cravings, but they'll have urges. And that's a mental obsession. That's just where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do without this. I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to watch a college football game without having a beer. You know, like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Um, so, but after a certain time, after that couple of weeks, you're not dealing with a physical craving anymore. You are just dealing with the mental obsession that goes along with the addiction, that the unwired, the, the rewired brain that is still focused on one thing to the expense of all other things. So recently I had something come across my Facebook and it was a video of Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. uh, an act, the actor mm-hmm. of receiving an award. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you know anything about him, he's got had huge addiction issues. Um, but he said, uh, you know, Mel Gibson was gave him that or he Mel Gibson is the one that gave him the uh, the award. Mm-hmm. And he talked about hugging the cactus. Mel Gibson said, you got to hug the cactus every day. I mean, yeah. you know, it's not going to be pleasant, but you got to hug the cactus. But one thing he said was that you got to find your faith, um, find your faith in your forgiveness. And you mentioned prayer. I mean, do most of the people that you know, and even yourself, do you find faith being a significant role in recovery? Yeah, um, yes. And the reason is, you know, you start out, you admit that you're powerless over it. Right. So if you're powerless over it, how are you going to overcome it? And that is you put your trust in something bigger than yourself. I know what I call that. You don't have to call it the same thing for you to recover. Right. I don't want to get in a theological argument or anything like that with somebody. I just want them to get sober and get healthy. So so that's why we call it a higher power or God of your understanding. So. When I talk to guys about it, it's just like I'll have them write down what they think God is and what they think God isn't, what their higher power is, what their higher power isn't. That's fine. And so you've got to have your trust in something else. And some people just put it the, 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 that trust in the group that yeah, they're with. Right. You know? But something to where you, because we are addicts, are selfish. A uh, good line in the big book is self will run riot. Um, so you've got to submit to something that's bigger than you. So, yeah, that plays a huge heart, uh, part. So is the psychology of that, like, uh, we're, if we're not talking about uh, the God of Christianity, God mm-hmm. and Jesus, but we're talking about just finding something that you can dedicate um, power to, mm-hmm. if you will, or attention to, power to and that. And trust, yeah. And trust to that you can, even if it's on a lower level, you can rationalize not doing this because I have faith in this. Yeah, and that 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 there's a couple of things that you're going to do along the path. And when you're going to, you're going to, you know, Put trust that he can that that power can relieve you of your your alcoholism or addiction. Then you're going to clean up your side of the street. You know you're going to as what we say. You know you're going to take a look at everything you've done wrong. Take a look at the things that you fear. Take a look at the resentments that you have. You're going to talk to somebody about that. You're going to identify the the character maladaptations. I think is the term now. We would call it character defects or shortcomings or the things about your character that led you to do those things or to feel those resentments or feel those fears. And then you're going to ask, you know, trust that those things can be removed from you. Doesn't mean they are that day, but it is. And then you're going to look at that list and you're going to go make things right with whoever you've hurt. And then you're going to do that on a small scale a little bit every day. So if I hurt you today or I feel like I've hurt you, you can probably expect a phone call from me pretty quick because I don't want to carry that around. Even even now? Even now. Even so now. So you, you, uh, you go day to day throughout your life 
you think you feel if, if I've offended somebody, then I, I need to make that right. Exactly. Whether, whether yeah. they, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so how do I make it right with you? And then it's finding that higher powers will and trying to live in that will and surrendering to that will. Um, you know, my will got me in stint and detox and, 30 day treatment and losing everything that I own and getting divorced and everything. That's what my will did for me. So why, why should, what makes me think that my will is what I ought to be governed by anymore. So just seeking that will trusting that if I'm, if I'm seeking it, then I'm probably doing the best I can to get there. And that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. But and in those moments when I'm not make it right as soon as you can. Uh, you and I've talked before about uh, putting a presentation together mm-hmm. for, for you to do maybe at the jail yeah. Uh, has that had any uh, leverage or had any uh, traction? Not yet. Not so far. It's just a matter of like getting it scheduled and getting the, the connections made. But yeah, yeah. I've, I love the presentation that you and I are getting started on. So, Well, I think that uh, I, I really would like to sit in that and watch you do that. I just, I think you're that, welcome that to. I want to. I, I mean, yeah. I want to be there when you yeah. do the first one. I just think it's going to be a, a huge, powerful impact on people just to hear your story. But it's also, like I said before, it's also good to see to see where you are, who you are, and then who you want to be. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. This is not who anybody chose to be with someone who's looking for alcohol or drugs every day just to numb numb their feelings, uh, but for somebody who can actually see other things in life that are way more valuable than drinking beer or, yeah. or taking out hair. Absolutely. And the ultimate goal, the 12th step. The 12th step. Is serving others and getting to a point to where I – I'm going to be good to somebody else, good for somebody else instead of just a drag on. Do you ever envision your program having a residential piece? So we'll help people find housing. Um, I I don't know about that. Uh, Right now I just want to do this really, really well, and then maybe we'll see about it. But uh, I'm putting together a group of folks that um, can make some real estate investments and that can offer help to people. Offer help with that, yeah. Yeah. But I don't don't want to be – it's not my bailiwick, so – yeah. Well, working at schools, I uh, sometimes, not oftentimes, thank God, but uh, sometimes I hear about parents who are strung out on drugs, and so they, mm-hmm. it definitely impacts the kids, whether it's food or rent or heat, yeah. uh, those kind of things. So um, we, we, would, we're, we would definitely be a good place to be a clearinghouse to get, get those kids and get those, those adults where they need well, to be. Well, I'm proud to say, I'm proud to say I'm that— I'm sure you do a good job of that anywhere, and people around you at Central— we have such great supports, the county, uh, the district, the school district. Uh, I don't know. I mean, everybody is just so capable and willing to help anybody. Uh, parents and students ought to be proud that their kids go to school in this Absolutely. county. This is a great school district. It is. It Fantastic is. school district that has so many resources for kids. And sometimes the kids, uh, they don't, uh, most of the times, they don't, it's not their choice that they find themselves in this situation. But, mm-hmm. uh, so reach out, reach out to your local school counselor if you're you're having some kind of issues, uh, regardless of what it is, and reach out to Matthew. Matthew, I want to give you an opportunity real quick to make sure that our listeners will know how to get a hold of you. Sure. Yeah, uh, my email address is matt at deltarecovery.net, uh, matt at deltarecovery.net. Uh, the website is deltarecovery.net, so you can reach out there. That website is still very much under construction. Uh, but my phone number is on there, but in case anybody needs it, it's 615-500-6471. Give us the website again, Matt. DeltaRecovery.net. 
Folks, I've been appreciative of the when y'all reach out to me, whether it's direct messaging on Facebook or whether you call uh, the station. So I'm going to give that to you again. It's DeltaRecovery.net. Please go check out that website. It's under construction still. So uh, don't be. Yeah, too- forgive me for the messes that are there, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's coming along. <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean, uh, so- and then the social media stuff is coming as well. Uh, you know, um, that that will have. In the next few days, I think, have it linked off the website for all the social media. But right now, those pages are under construction. Okay, so we said 10% was uh, probably average of the 10% of the population has an addiction issue. We all, all the three of us, Mike and Matthew and I, uh, think that that's a very reserved number. We think it's closer to 20% probably have some kind of addiction issue. What I want is for listeners, those I want one listener out there to call Matthew. And uh, I want more. If you're struggling with this, I want more. But I want one to have the courage to call Matthew and say, hey, can I talk? to you and fig, kind of start figuring this out. I think that would be amazing. And that number is 615-500-6471. This is American Steel here on Thanks WKOM 101.7 FM radio. Thank you, Matthew. It's always a pleasure. You're always welcome back. Appreciate it. Thank you. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. All right, welcome back, everybody. I have got Miles Johnson from Foodland on the phone. He's going to tell us what specials we have. Miles, what kind of deals you got for us this week at uh, at Foodland? Well, this week we have ground beef for two ninety nine a pound, whole New York strip five ninety nine a pound, iceberg lettuce a dollar forty nine each, twenty ounce Gatorade three for four, and Coca Cola twelve packs two for twelve. All right, fantastic! And of course, we're celebrating back to school with all the kids going back, and uh, your sales run through Tuesday, August eighth. And uh, as always, you guys are open seven days a week, seven a.m. till nine p.m. Located very conveniently right there. Um, near the post office so people need to come in and check it out and uh, and if anybody needs anything they can ask one of your great staff because uh, you have an amazing staff so miles thank you as always uh and again we'll talk to you next week okay all righty thank you thank you miles have a good day you too hello class i'm from the tennessee lottery and your professor for the next 30 seconds so where do proceeds from playing the Tennessee Lottery go? If you answered education, 
you're at the top of your class. The Tennessee Lottery has raised more than $7 billion for education programs like Hope Scholarships, Tennessee Promise, and much more. Now for some easy homework, go to tnlottery.com and see how the Tennessee Lottery helps students. In honor of the dog days of summer, I've asked my best friend to tell you a little bit about the new August Instant Games from the Tennessee Lottery. Take it away, Buster. (laughs) Wow, Buster says there are four new games to choose from. And you can win up to $1 million. (laughs) Wow, I can't repeat that on the radio. Sorry, he just saw a squirrel. Gather up all your best friends and play the new August Instant Games, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. 